0: My name is michael tuck and i'm the associate pastor here at bacon's castle baptist church we are a local church in surrey virginia dedicated to making disciples of jesus christ this is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole we hope you enjoy this week's podcast a christian had been uh, stranded on a desert island for many, many years. But one day he's rescued, and when he is rescued, the rescuers are confused because they find three buildings there on the island. And they ask him about the three buildings, and he says, Well, that first building is my home. And they say, Well what's the what's the second building? And he says, Well that's the church I attend. And they say, Well what's the third building? He says, that's the church I used to attend. Let that sink in for a second. You know uh This morning, as I said already, we're going to interrupt our series in the Gospel of John, and we're going to turn to the subject of unity in in the body of Christ, and maybe specifically unity in our church. I mean, really, because this is where the rubber meets the road. We need to live out unity here in our church family. So, you know, this is this is going to be something for us specifically. In the last message that we looked at from John's gospel, Jesus specifically prays for a number of things. Remember, he prayed for himself, he prayed for his disciples then and there, and then he prays for us, specifically by praying for those who would believe in them believe in him because of the word of those 11 disciples that would be that would be us but one of the primary things that he prays for in that prayer if you remember from last week was unity he prays that we would be one he prays for them to be one even as he and the father are one and then he prays for us to be one and to have that same sort of unity but what we pointed out last week is that unity has never been as the people of God unity has never really been one of our strong suits and so maybe that is why maybe that's why the the Lord Jesus made such a specific point to pray for it. Dr. Tom Rayner was uh, the president of LifeWay, the, the Christian uh, publishing arm of our denomination for a number of years, and he put together a list of 25 of the craziest, saddest stories of what Christians fight over in the church. Now, I'm not going to give you all 25 of them, but I picked seven of them for you. And after each one, he gives a comment. He gives a commentary after each one. All right, so here's the first one. A 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase for the church. Black or brown, two, three, or four drawers. He said this should have been called the official cabinet meeting of the church. Here's another one. A fight over which picture of Jesus to put in the foyer. Uh, he His comment. I, I just want to know who took the pictures. A dispute over whether the worship leader should have his shoes on during the service. Rainer said, I vote for shoes, shirts, and pants. Uh, A two-business meeting argument over whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve that question. And he said, wow, this fight was really wacky. If I had one of those drum things, you know, that would be kind of... Two different churches reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand. In another church, they moved simply to a stronger blend, and members left the church in the latter example. He said they went and started the Right Blend Fellowship. Two more. A disagreement over using the term potluck instead of uh, pot blessing. I'd never heard of that. Uh, He says, I get it. The concept of luck contradicts the theology of God controlling everything. This issue is very serious. Good luck trying to resolve it. You know, I've read that. I wrote it. That's the first time I got that comment just then is when when I read it. And then the last one, he said, some church members left the church because one of the church members hid the vacuum cleaner from the rest of them. It resulted in a major fight and split, and thus the second Electrolux church was born. Again, I said last week, the key to unity really, I think, is one of the two things that I said was the release of our preferences, the dying to our rights and what we think we want, that for the sake of unity, that really is the key to unity in the body of Christ. There's a whole lot we can say about unity, and I am going to try to say it in the next few weeks, but but today I wanted to start with this question. Where does our unity come from? You know, we, we follow Jesus and we say we're supposed to be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. Where does our unity come from? Well, in a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Galatia, he answers that question for us, I believe. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, just listen. It says, for for through faith you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then your Abraham's seed heirs according to the promise. So so Paul says our unity is going to be found in the fact that all of us are in Christ or in Jesus. I, I want to try to use his name as opposed to his title. We are all in Jesus, and because we're in Jesus, that's where our unity comes from. In fact, 75 places in the Bible does Paul and the New Testament writers refer to us as being in Jesus or in Christ. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Jesus? It's obviously a metaphorical picture. I can't be in Jesus physically, right? So this is a metaphorical picture that that Jesus is, or that the Bible is giving us. And, and it basically says that all of us who are associated with Jesus are, are in, in Him or in His work. So the Bible speaks of, of Jesus as being God's chosen one. So I really want you to grab this, okay? The Bible says that God chose Jesus and He gave to Jesus a whole bunch of things. In fact, In fact, Jesus, the whole Old Testament, everyone, is pointing to Jesus. Did you know that? Everything in the Old Testament, the promises of Abraham, when God said to Abraham, I'm gonna make you a nation that through you I might bless the nations of the earth, all the nations of the earth, he was referring to the fact that through through Abraham's family, he would bring forth Jesus. And in Jesus, all the rest of the of the world would be blessed. All of us would be blessed in Jesus. And so things like the Old Testament sacrificial system, why did God set that up? Why did God tell the Jews, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill a lamb as a sacrifice for your sins. And so what that lamb was doing was, in essence, it was dying, representing the fact that we have to die. That lamb was representing that someone else was going to die in our stead. And so God wasn't killing us at that point. So we would still die, but the lamb represented that someone would die in our stead. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system is pointing to one thing. It's pointing to the day that Jesus would come and die for us. And so, when Jesus dies, he's he's fulfilling this Old Testament picture all throughout the Old Testament. He's the sacrificial lamb. Remember this: he, He's beginning his ministry. He's thirty years old. This is from John's Gospel. You remember uh, John the Baptist is out there preparing the way for him to come. And when Jesus steps onto the scene, the first thing John says is, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." See, there's the one who's going to be sacrificed for us so that one day we won't have to die we will get to live so jesus is going to to take our place now, metaphorically, and by that I mean, and not literally are we, are we in Jesus' body, so to speak. Metaphorically, we're in Jesus. So all that Jesus accomplished for us, it becomes ours because we're associated with him. We're in him. I don't know how to say that any other way. We're, we're in him metaphorically. So the Bible says that when Jesus died, he's like dying for us. We're like dying with him. And then when he rises from the dead, remember he, he's, he's buried and then three days later he comes back to life. Well, we're rising with him. We're, we, we rose in him metaphorically. And then of course one day we too will rise from the dead in the same way that Jesus did. And so God, and so God is, is basically telling us our unity lies in Jesus, and in Jesus, we have everything. In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter speaks of God coming in judgment and God's protection of the righteous, and he uses Noah as an illustration. I'm trying to, get, I'm trying to paint a picture of what it means to be in Christ, and I want to use this picture. In 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, Peter says, Noah and his ark was a picture of God rescuing the righteous and holding the unrighteous under judgment. Let me read it for you. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought the flood on the earth and on the, uh, on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and desire and despise authority. So here, here's what Peter says. He says Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah, those Old Testament stories, he says they're pictures for us of how God is gonna judge the ungodly but rescue the godly. In Noah's case, Noah built this ark and so this big, huge boat. And so when the judgment of God came in the way of a flood and drowned the whole world, Noah and seven others were saved because they were safe in the ark. I remember as a young Christian, I don't know if somebody told me this or if I saw it, but the ark became a picture of Jesus for me. Just as Noah got in the ark and the judgment of God came, the ark protected Noah and he was not judged by God in that flood. In the same way, being in Jesus, and again, I guess it gets a little weird here. We can actually see getting into an ark, right, in the middle of a flood. But if we're in Jesus, we're going to be rescued from the judgment to come. And and there's there's where we find our unity. We find our unity by being joined together in Christ, by getting into the ark of who Jesus is, if you would. To be in Christ is to be protected from God's judgment that is to come. So our unity comes because we find ourselves in the ark of our salvation, which is Jesus. All right, but here's where Ephesians comes in. Being in Jesus, what else does that do for us? How else does that unite us? It unites us in that being in Jesus, we get spared from the judgment to come. All right, being in Jesus, we get spared from the judgment to come in the same way that Noah and his family were spared in that first judgment. All right, But what else do we have in being united together in Jesus as a church family and as God's people? So now if you have your Bibles, first, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, this is, this is a great chapter because in this chapter basically, uh, Paul is going to tell the Ephesian church, here's, here's what it means for you to be in Jesus. Here's what you get being in Jesus. We're gonna pick up at verse three. Have your Bibles, follow along with me. It says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavens in Christ. So he Paul ta- starts off this letter, and he says, listen, I want to tell you about all these things that God is going to bless you with if you are in Christ. If you find yourself in Jesus, here's how God's going to bless you. And he starts off, verse 3, by saying, blessed be God, the Father, uh, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should bless God for this, because he's going to give us all kinds of wonderful blessings. And these blessings are what unite us We find unity together, all of us, as the family of God here at Bacon's Castle, but even as the bigger family of God, regardless of what church family you're a part of, we find unity in these blessings that God is is going to to give us. So let's look at those blessings that unite us. Verse four, for he chose us, before I look at the blessings, I have to deal with verse four, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be... You know, blameless, etc. The things that are going to follow. But let me talk about verse four because Christians have read verse four in two different ways. All right. So the the first way I want to share with you, it, it didn't it didn't really come about until around 450 AD. But many, many, many people since then have have read verse four in this way, and and they read verse four like this that. For God chose us to be in Jesus before the foundation of the world. In other words, God chose some of us to be in Jesus. And those that he chose to be in Jesus, they get all the blessings that we're going to talk about Uh, This morning. Now, how do you get to be one of those that God chose before the foundation of the earth or the foundation of the world? We don't know. It's a secret choice of God. We don't know how it came about or why he chose. One thing we do know is that he did not choose on the basis of who we are or anything that we have done. Uh, Because God chose us uh, before he created anything in this perspective on verse 4, we're the the ones who will exercise faith. We're the ones who will respond to God's choosing. Now, the other way of looking at verse 4 is different, and uh, it's the way I would look at verse 4. Verse 4 reads, For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be blessed with all the spiritual blessings. In other words, Paul is saying that before God created anything at all, Before he made anything, he chose ahead of time that those who would be in Christ would have these particular spiritual blessings. Not that he chose who would be in Jesus, but he he chose, if you were in Jesus, these are the blessings that would be yours. Either way, our unity as followers of Jesus comes from being in Christ. Now... I want to give you an illustration of the second view because, again, it's it's my perspective and it's the one I think that fits best with what's going to follow. But but let me give you an illustration that I've already given you before. And in this illustration, um, uh, long before an airplane takes off, it's already decided where that airplane's going to go. It already knows its destination, it's already predetermined, and it's also already predetermined what amenities would be on that plane. In other words, if, if I wanted to go to Houston, I can look up where the planes are predetermined to go to Houston, and I can look at what amenities are on that plane. And I can choose to get on that plane but the airline doesn't choose the passengers that are getting on the plane. They simply predetermine where the plane's going and what's going to be available on the plane. I think that's what Paul is saying here to the Ephesian believers. He's saying God has predetermined that if you are in Christ, here are the blessings that are going to be yours. Here are the amenities, if you would. Here are the things that that unite us together as followers of Jesus. This is yours. If you are in Christ. We'll talk about how we get in Christ in just a little bit, all right? But, but these are the blessings that are ours, and this is where our unity lies. So let's look at what he says, all right? For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Now, if you're in Christ, here's the first thing that God has blessed you with. He has declared you to be blameless. He has, he has decided uh, before the foundation of the world, ever began, that if we were in Christ, we would be blameless. Why would we be blameless? Because I'm not blameless. Do you guys feel blameless? Are you blameless? I think none of us in here are blameless. We all know, we all know our sin, right? Like David, King David said, my sin is always before me and my iniquity is always around me. So we get that, right? But here God says, if you're in Christ, you're blameless. You're blameless. How can that be? It's because God declares us to be blameless in Jesus, because we're in Jesus. Remember, he's the chosen one. Here's a question for you. Is Jesus blameless? Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things the Bible says over and over and over again, everyone, that Jesus was sinless. He was blameless. And so finding ourselves in Jesus, God looks at us through him, and God declares that we're blameless. I remember crossing uh, uh, one of those solid white lines coming up to a stoplight a while back. And I was, I, I crossed it in the, in the first foot or two of it, but a cop comes behind me and pulls me over and gives me a ticket for changing lanes before the light. And I go to the, I go to, I go to court because I don't, I don't think that's right. I guess I was wrong, but I didn't think it was right. And uh, so I go to court and, and I tell the judge what happened and he declares me blameless I mean, it felt really good to walk out of that court and not owe court costs and not owe anything, not get any tickets, not points. I was declared blameless by the judge. That's what God is gonna do for those of us that are in Christ. Though we are not truly blameless, in Christ we are blameless because his, his blamelessness has been given to me. So now I belong to him and his blamelessness is mine. Here's the second thing. We are united in Jesus uh, as a family, we've been adopted into His family. Now we use this term an awful lot in our church family here. We are we're a family. We we call it church family. Verse five says, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. To here, if, if you are in Jesus, you have been adopted as a son of God. You are in a new family and you are not alone. You know, I've never, I've never not known a loving, caring family I've never, I've never really known what it is to be alone because people have always cared for me. But you know what? That might not be you this morning. And you may not, you may not have had a family like I'm describing. You can have one now. You can be a part of Jesus' family. You can be a part of God's family. You can be adopted into his family. So Paul wrote to the Roman church. Here's what he wrote in chapter 8, verse 14. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. So, hey, we've been given this spirit of adoption, but here's something I want you to understand. The Bible's really clear that it's not really been finalized yet. A couple of verses later, chapter 8 of Romans still, Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Not only that, but we ourselves, who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So here's what God means by that. What he means is that um, God has said, I'm adopting you as my sons and daughters. You will be my family. You are my family. But there is is an officialness about this that happens when Jesus returns and we are resurrected from the dead. You know, I don't know if this fits or not. I tried to liken it to uh, to what my family's going through with uh, some of my children doing foster and they've had some children with them for a year and a half now. And I gotta be honest with you, they, they feel like acres. I mean, I feel like these children are our children. They've been with us for almost a year and a half and I feel like they're ours, right? But there's not a finality about the, you know, in fact, It's not not even a good illustration because they're still in foster and not not even heading towards adoption. But I think you you follow my train of thought a little bit. I mean, if if they were heading towards, they're already like ours as far as feeling, as far as truth is concerned, but it's not official yet. And and so here's, here's what Jesus says about us. In Christ, those of us that are in Christ, he has declared us to be family. And there's a sense in which it becomes, it becomes final, he says. We groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. When God raises us from the dead, it'll be official. We are adopted as sons of God. Now I'm working on that this week, and, and I'm thinking, and, uh, do y'all remember that song by Sister Sledge? Uh, We are family. (laughs) So I'm not going to sing it to you, but I looked it up. I got to read you the words, all right? We are family. I've got all my sisters. I'm going to add, and brothers with me, get up, everyone, and sing. Everyone can see we're together as we walk on by, and we fly just like birds of a feather. I won't tell no lie. All the people around us, they say, can they be that close? Just let me state for the record, we're giving love a family dose. <laughs> I wish I could sing it for you. But that's, but that's you know, that's who we are. That's, one, that's why we are united, because we are family, And here's something else Paul says before I move on. He says, Man, we should lavish praise on God because because of this. He said, We've been adopted into his family according to his good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. He has lavished this on us. God has predestined, God has predetermined that anyone who is in Christ is going to be his family. Here's the next thing. We are united in forgiveness and restoration, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, that is through his death, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. Here's what he says. Because Jesus died, I am forgiven. You are forgiven. The relationship with God has been restored. Remember, the wages of sin is death. Death. It separates us from God because we die. But here he says, you've been restored, and that relationship with God has been, has been redeemed and it's been brought back. And so we have life now, and all this is by the grace of God, it says. It says in the text, right? According to the riches of his grace. So being forgiven isn't because you're good. It's not because of how wonderful you are, as wonderful as, as you are. It's because, it's because of God's grace, it's because of what Jesus did for you, that God is willing to forgive us our sin, and God makes a big deal about that, and if he makes a big deal about it as it relates to us, shouldn't we make a big deal about it as it relates to one another? Listen, everyone, if God can forgive us, why can we not forgive one another? Why do we even get why do we even hold grudges against one another when God has forgiven us so much? And don't misunderstand it do, it hurts when people say things that that hurt. It hurts when people do things that hurt. I get it. But I also know that because God was willing to forgive me in Jesus, being in him, being in him, he's forgiven me. How can we not freely just forgive one another? all the time without, why can't we just do it like that? Why do we have to let it drag on or whatever? Why can't we just do it like that? Let me move on. We are united in our understanding of God's plan, verse nine. These, remember, let's go back to verse three before I move on. He has blessed us with all the spiritual blessings in heavenly place. These are the blessings. I'm adopted into his family. I've been forgiven. I'm blameless before him. All of those things, these are are the blessings. Let's go on. We are united in our understanding of God's plan. Verse 9, he made known to us the mystery of his will. He made known to us in Christ the mystery of what God was willing, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ... As a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. God's plan has been from the beginning to unite all of us in his son, all of us who are willing. He has been willing, he he has said, my plan is to unite everything under the Son in Christ. All of us who respond to Jesus, we're all going to be in Jesus and Jesus is going to be all in all. And that's why God would say to Abraham, Abraham, listen, all the nations of the earth are gonna be blessed through you because through you Jesus is gonna come and it's in Jesus that all things will be brought together under, under God. One of my favorite verses has become, or one of my favorite sections, one of my favorite chapters, but one favorite section of that is 1 Corinthians 15, 23 and following. Listen, It says, but each will experience resurrection in his own order. Christ, the first fruits after this coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. And when he hands over the kingdom to God, the father, then he abolishes all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything is put under him, it's obvious that he's put everything under him. uh, Excuse me. It's obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. And, and that humanity didn't follow that, but here's the plan of God. Everything's going to come under Christ. Christ is going to put everything under the Father, and then we'll all be, all be one. We'll all be one, and it's all going to be good. So the kingdom of God has come. So in Isaiah chapter 9, remember this? We're going to be quoting this a lot here real soon, but Isaiah 9, 6, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. His dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end and he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. See, here's the plan of God. We know the mystery of the will of God. God is bringing all things under Christ, and Christ is going to reign over all. And one day, this kingdom of this world, is going to belong to Jesus, and the government will be on his shoulders. I'm telling you, I'm I'm looking, please don't misunderstand this. I don't mean what y'all might want to make me mean about it, but I'm looking forward to, I won't even use the name, I'm looking forward to when politics aren't like they are now. I'm looking forward to when when those in leadership aren't like the ones that are in leadership now, or maybe have been in the past or will be in the future, right? I'm looking forward to Jesus being king, to to have the world all under his rule so that everything is right and all our enemies are abolished and all the promises of God, all the spiritual blessings of God will be ours which brings me to the to the next one. We are united in our inheritance. Look at verse 11. In him we also have received an inheritance because we, ha, we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. And again, I mean, here's that same divide that I talked about earlier that has divided us. Some say that God has predestined The people that are going to get the inheritance. I'm suggesting, and this is what I believe, that we are united. God has predestined what our inheritance will be, not who will get it. That's, that's something you can research later. But here's what I want you to see. We are united in the inheritance that is ours. So what is, the, what is the inheritance that is ours? Well, it's the things that we've already been talking about. It's forgiveness and blamelessness. It's family. It's wisdom. Those things are, our, are, all, are all ours as an inheritance because we are in Christ. He says, I have predestined to give those things to you. On May 20, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed into law law the Homestead Act encouraging Western migration and providing settlers with 160 acres of public land. In exchange, homesteaders paid a, a small filing fee, and then they had to stay five years on their homestead continuously before it became theirs and they became owners of it. Now, I'm speculating, and and the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm wondering if our inheritance, if God's not gonna give us a homestead in his coming kingdom. He says he's prepared a place for us, right? But I wonder if there's not gonna be, you know, because the kingdom, you know, we sang this morning about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth uniting, right? Well, we read about that in Revelation chapter 21. Anybody know what it says? It says the new Jerusalem's coming out of heaven down here. It's coming to the new heavens and the new earth and I'm wondering if God doesn't have a homestead my wife's looking at me crazy so nobody, I'm not, I'm not communicating well I'm just thinking if Abraham Lincoln could give 160 acres to folks back then how come Jesus might not give us 160 acres of homestead when his new kingdom comes and he reigns over all the earth no, I'm sorry, what? no stipulations, right no stipulations that you gotta stay there five years. Okay, good. I can see my little thought there didn't go anywhere, so that's fine. But I just I, I just I'm looking forward to the promises of God being fulfilled when, you know, this world is wonderful. And and, and I live for now and I live for my family and I live for you guys and and, and I wanna make I want to enjoy life and I'm living life to the fullest that I can live now. But I'm following Jesus, and my my sights are not set on here. I don't want to be set here. I want to keep my sights set on all that God has promised for us. And you've heard me say a lot lately that that sounds like, what is it, Joni? Purple elephants with pink polka dots to people. And I get that. I get that. If you don't have faith, me, people are saying, that's pie in the sky, Jimmy. Why in the world would you put your hope in something like that? Well, I'm putting my hope in something like that because... Jesus conquered death and rose from the dead, and that's what his promise is. So that's where my hope lies, and that's my inheritance. And by the way, if God does give us a homestead, I'm going to ask for Surrey, just saying. <laughs> We are united in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. I'm almost done. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. This is Paul speaking, not me. Verse 14. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession. What is the redemption of the possession? We've already looked at it. To the praise of his glory. Paul says that we are united in that God has given us his Holy Spirit. So all of us who follow Jesus, we're not alone. God's with us. He's living within us. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is in me. And we are united because all of us, the Holy Spirit lives within us. We're all together in this. We have the spirit. And he tells us that the spirit is a down payment. He's a down payment. A down payment is that tangible thing that we put on the table declaring, I'm following through with this. So we put a big down payment on a house or we we buy something on Craigslist that we can't pick up. So we put a down payment on it. God is saying the down payment of all these promises is is the Holy Spirit that I'm giving to you to live within you, to be with you, to never leave you, forsake you, to guide you, to, to just help you, to encourage you. He's the Holy Spirit. And he and what does he say again? He says... Uh, the Holy Spirit, a down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession. What is the redemption of the possession? Back to Romans eight twenty three. Not only that, but we also have, a, have in ourselves the Spirit as the first fruits. We also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. The Holy Spirit is a down payment that God is gonna resurrect us from the dead. He's gonna raise us back to life again. And before I wrap it up, there's one more thing. And in this last thing, before I, before I get to the last one, let me just ask this question, when does all this happen? When am I placed in Christ? Well, let's look at the text again, and that brings me to the, last, to the last thing that unites us, and that is that we are united in our faith, verse 13. In him you were sealed with the Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. I don't believe we were in Christ before the foundation of the world. I think before the foundation of the world, those that would be in Christ would be blessed with all these spiritual blessings. But here I think it says we were sealed in Christ when we heard the truth of the gospel, the good news of our salvation, and we believed. Our unity, our union is found in our faith in God. That, that's, this, is, this is what unites us. This is bedrock to all of us. It's why we ask Kenny and Luke and Christian to say, this is why I believe. This is how come I've come to believe in Christ. Because what unites us together as a church is, is our faith in the Lord Jesus. That is bedrock unity for us. Hebrews eleven six says that without faith it's impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. The one who puts his faith in God will put his faith in Jesus. I really believe that. Somebody who responds to the to the to the light of creation, I mean, I believe that that person is going to put his faith in Jesus. When Jesus is revealed to him. In fact, in, in John chapter 6, I think that's, that's what Jesus said to the, to the Jews that were listening. Those that the Father has given me. Those that belong to the Father. He's given them to me. Well, who were the ones that Jesus got? They were the ones who put their faith in the Father. And that's what he's saying here, I think. He's saying that, I think it's really clear. He says, hey, we are united in our faith. Our faith, how did you get to have all of these promises when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed? Jesus is our unifier. Jesus is the one that that brings us all together and makes us one. So that brings me to the question, my concluding question. Are you willing today to put your faith in Jesus if you haven't already? If you haven't put your faith in Jesus already to follow him, are you willing today to put your faith in Jesus and follow Jesus? Would you not want to be adopted into his family? Would you not want to have your sins forgiven and to be declared blameless by God? Would you not want to have all that God has promised those who would be in Christ, <laughs> can I read you what it says in my notes? This is what it says in my notes. Then stand up where you're sitting and be counted. I'm toying on whether or to do that or not. <laughs> Anybody want to stand up and say? I wanna follow Jesus that's not already following Jesus. I had one person, I think, say, hey, I'm standing up. But, anybody? I was at the garage ministry this, this week and, and Anthony was saying something along the lines. He says, we always say, now close your eyes, nobody looking around, You know, slip your hand up really quickly and put it down. He says, right from the beginning, we're asking people to follow Jesus almost in some sort of shame factor, right? I guess what I'm trying to say, don't be ashamed to follow Jesus. If you're here this morning, and and, uh, Mary, you stood up once before too, didn't you? So um, thanks, Mary, for standing up. But don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed to follow Jesus openly. I mean, he's blessed us and our unity as a church family and our unity beyond these walls. Listen, guys, we're one with every body of Christ out there. I don't care if they see it exactly like us or not. You know, we're one with them. We're one with them. We are the body of Christ. We have unity. And, and we, let's, let's make sure that Bacon's Castle family, as much as it depends on us, let's make sure that everybody outside of these walls that's a part of a different church family, let's make sure they know, hey, you're our family. You're our family and we are one. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for, uh, thank you for the oneness that you've given us in Christ. Thank you, Jesus, that being in you, you being the one that that God chose through whom all these blessings would come, thank you for being willing to do what you did. Thank you for being willing to leave heaven and and subjugate yourself, uh, humble yourself, as, as it says in scripture, to humble yourself to do what you did so that we might have life now and eternal life to come. Lord, thank you for being, being willing to work in our lives and give us your spirit to change us now. Lord, thank you for these, these many, many blessings that are ours. And would you, Father, continue to just grow our unity in Christ and strengthen our unity in Christ. And Lord, may we be an example of what it means to be one in you. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed.